This is Wales. Bangor, Newport, Carmarthen, Rill, Bills Wells, Northwest, Aberdare, Port Madog, Cogan, Bridgend, Aberavon, Wrexham, Merthyr, Meath. This is Wales. I wish I was a punk rocker with flowers in my hair In 77 and 69, revolution was in the air I was born too late into a world that doesn't care Oh, I wish I was a punk rocker with flowers in my hair when the head of state didn't play guitar, not everybody drove a car. When music really mattered and when radio was king. When accountants didn't have control and the media couldn't buy your soul. When computers were still scary and we didn't know everything. Oh, I wish I was a punk rocker with flowers in my hair. In 77 and 69, revolution was in the air. I was born too late. To a world that doesn't care Oh, I wish I was a punk rocker With flowers in my hair When pop stars still remained a myth And ignorance could still be bliss And when God saved the queen She turned a white, a shade of pale My mom and dad were in their teens And anarchy was still a dream And the only way to stay in touch Was a letter and the mail Oh, I wish I was a punk rocker With flowers in Record shops were still on top and vinyl was all that they stopped And the super info highway was still drifting out in space Kids were wearing hand-me-downs and playing games Men kick arounds and footballers still had long hair and dirt across their face Oh, I wish I was a punk rocker with flowers in my hair In 77 and 69, revolution was in the air I was born to Welcome to the latest show. Today, I'm joined by Sandy Tom. Hey, I tell you what, I can't believe that it's been, what, 16 years since we heard uh, that song? Has it been 16 years? I think so. I think it's been I mean, longer than 16 years. It went number one just about everywhere, didn't it? Yeah, it was uh, It was crazy, wasn't it? But the thing that people don't realise is that I actually released it independently the year before. Um, and because it was like, you know, I didn't have a name I didn't have a budget or anything. It was it went it actually charted and it, nobody would play it on the radio either because it was so weird. So it went into like the charts at like fifty five or something, and then uh, 
when the time came, you know, when I did the webcasting and then the media picked up on that and that kind of started this snowball effect that went completely ballistic. Then I signed Sony and then it was re-released and it went to number one. So it was like it, the song has such an interesting journey from its inception to, you know, the bit that everybody's familiar with. I hate it when people say you burst onto the scene or you're an overnight sensation because there's no such thing. A lot of hard work goes into people's careers and, you know, especially music. There's, I, I don't oh, yeah. think there's any such thing as overnight success, is there? Yeah, no, it, it takes a lifetime to be an overnight success. <laughs> no, of course not. I mean, I was doing I was doing professional shows from when I was 14, 15 years old, singing with a, a like, you know, covers band in this sort of, little pubs of the northeast coast of Scotland and I did that till I was 17, 18. That was great for me because it was a huge experience but also it gave me, these guys that I was in this band with were way older than me so we were playing all the music from their generation, their era. So I I grew up singing like Fleetwood Mac songs in pubs, you know, as a professional singer and then yeah, so I had all those years before I went to uni and did my course in performing arts and then years and years of being a songwriter and moving to London, no money, you know, trying to make my name for myself. So there's so much that goes into everybody's careers before, if you're ever lucky enough, blessed enough to get, you know, to be a success or to, you know, then, yeah, there's so much, so much work that has to go into it. Well, the song... I think went to number one in seven countries. And although we know there's no such thing as an overnight success, how did your life change overnight? Yeah, my life changed dramatically. Um, you know, I was, I had my, my then manager and I had a really great relationship where, you know, I was super hardworking and he had a lot of, you know, interesting ideas. So we used to do a lot of sort of wacky stuff and think outside of the box. And there was one night I was driving up to do some you know you might know when when you're going to radio stations and you you want to impress people so you go in and you play some songs for them and they like you and they go okay well we'll consider your music and so I was on my way to I'm pretty sure it was Hallam FM in Sheffield and my manager phoned me and said Miss Tom you need to turn the car back around and come back to London because um Lorraine Kelly wants you on the sh- breakfast show tomorrow morning, right? And it's a live feed. So I was like, oh, okay. So I turned the car around. There's me and there's the two lads in the back and there's 100 guitars and everything. There's no room to swing a cat. And we come back down to London the next morning. There's people running cables into my house with cameras and it's all live on air. And they're like, right, Sandy, we just want you to give us a tour of, you know, the house and the basement where you've done all this webcasty stuff. And right, ready, three, two, one, go, you know? And it was like, oh, okay. So yeah, it was crazy because I'm not necessarily like naturally as a person, like this very flamboyant, you know, person, but I, I do, I do have a, a stage persona and so I can perform. So I just had to like switch it on, you know, cause I'm usually quite quiet and. Yeah, it was madness. After that, it was absolute madness. It was just like nonstop work, you know, fly all over the world, do all these crazy things, have journalists follow you everywhere you go, you know, take pictures everywhere you go. It was a it was a huge um, uh, roller coaster. Yeah. What was coming my way Cause you didn't want me at all 
suddenly out of the blue you say well i just don't love you no more and they say a moment can change your life oh ain't that the truth i've weathered some pretty big storms in my time but baby this one cut right through So this is what it feels like when your heart breaks Oh, this is what it feels like, feels like Like an earthquake when the ground shakes And my heart breaks into a thousand pieces And you say the words and my heart suddenly changed Like an earthquake When everything comes crashing down Well I hope you know what it feels like someday Or when somebody turns your world upside down I know you know this is what it feels like When your heart breaks Oh, this is what it feels like When the ground shakes Oh, this is what it feels like Feels like, like an going on you know the, the, the eye yeah. of the storm yeah i enjoyed the vast majority of it i think that you know i was really young as well as like early 20s so when you're in your early 20s you're not quite the same person you know, i'm in my early 40s now so i was definitely naive to a lot of things and maybe a bit innocent to it all 
So, you know, I didn't have any prior training on doing interviews and things like this. So, yeah, I I enjoyed 99% of it when you get thrust into the public eye like that, no matter who you are there has to be an ebb and flow to the narrative. So there's going to be somebody that has to do some, say something negative along the way to continue on this, you know, so that it keeps it interesting. It's like an episode of EastEnders. So that part of it wasn't fun. It's sometimes when, you know, you see, you read stories that aren't necessarily true, but there's nothing much you can do about it. So some of that was a bit hard to swallow, but for, you know, I, I, what I did was, it was incredible. And I think the thing that really held it all together was the fact that I was out on the road with my, my, literally my two best friends who we'd all met in Liverpool. We'd all gone to music school together and we'd gone on this crazy adventure together. So we got to experience all of these things like the day the tour bus showed up, you know, and it was like, wow you know it's literally like living in a dream so we got to do all of that together and I think that was really fundamental to all of us keeping our heads in the right place you know I've been a fan of your music since you first burst onto the burst onto the scene but I can remember you've always been to me you've always seemed to be a bit of a trailblazer because you were the first guy I think if I'm right to stream concerts from your home yeah it was I have to give kudos to my friend in Edinburgh because this, 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 see, the thing is, this whole thing was literally on the tipping point of this digital revolution that was, you know, happening. And I, I may not have been the first person. I don't know who, who was the first person, but I was part of this movement. So I had done this gig, uh, in Edinburgh a few weeks back. And my friend at the time, he was, you know, pretty cool and sort of forefront of all the different emerging technologies. And it was at this little venue called the Left Bank. And he said, Sandy, this is really cool. You have to come and do this gig. We're going to be your mum can watch you perform at this concert from her computer in her house. At the time, we were like, whoa, that's crazy. And it, sure enough, you know, I did the gig in this huge computer with the massive back end, you know, the old fashioned ones, streamed the concert through the, the, the venue's site. So actually it was the little venue in Edinburgh that was, <laughs> that was pioneering the way. And I saw this happening and it was very, very, very new. And I thought, this is amazing. We have to do this. So I took the idea back down to London and, you know, we, contacted the streaming company and a streaming company was like who's that at that point in time just this startup and said listen you know do you want to get in on the action and let's do something really cool and let's collaborate to do this because at that point to stream anything required huge amounts of bandwidth and all this sort of technical stuff so we did it we did it from my basement in London and we called it 21 Nights from Tooting, which is a play on the 21 Nights in Toledo. And I just streamed every night from uh, the house and we, we made the basement really nice. You know, we're talking like damp, underground London flat. <laughs> and so we put the fairy lights up and everything. And then we had six seats in the room where you could physically watch the concert and the rest of the audience was on my website. And you know what? I think it was a lot of timing. It was it was very well timed. It was a huge news piece because nobody had ever heard of it before. And because of that, 
I grabbed the attention of a lot of media outlets. And then everybody wanted to know what this thing was. And that's really what was the, the turning point, because that's what caused so much publicity, um, which then obviously made the song very well known. So, yeah, I mean, in this business, as you well know, there's a lot of hard work, but also sometimes there's timing and there's a bit of luck. You know, it happened to me in that way. And yeah, you know, it was trailblazing. It was pioneering. And obviously nowadays it's like everybody does it. So, but at that time it was totally unheard of. Well, all through lockdown, it was a lifeline for many musicians and artists. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that I'm not, don't quote me on this, but we, we, uh, we needed like a, a, a really easy kit to, to, to cart about. So we went and got a cajon. So Craig was always playing the cajon and then the cajon blew up as well. <laughs> Everybody was playing a cajon after that, which was really cool. So there was all these different little things as well that came with it. Like I saw other artists come along and they had their drummers playing cajons too. Yeah, it, there was lots of little things along the way. But the great thing about that whole basement was that everybody that came down wrote their names on the walls and signed it and wrote little messages. And it was all these pure white walls and we just covered the walls and everybody's signatures and so it really was like such a cool moment for us all, you know, and I don't know who lives there now. And I'm sure they've probably painted over it, but maybe in a million years, they'll un un uncover it. Some archaeological <laughs> dig. What are all these things written on these walls? <laughs> I first laid eyes on you My heavy heart has taken to the skies above Floating through the darkest valleys Praying over mountains for your love But today the sky is so clear All I'm left with is my fear Just holding on to a balloon was too high to think of letting go at the same time it's getting hard to breathe and where this wind will blow me I don't know Pacific seas a thousand miles from home Passing through the clouds I need your arms around me now If I should fall And you don't hear me call Then I'll never land at all Just holding on to a Breathing where this wind will blow me I 
is the whole playlisting thing with radio. Because you, mm. you, you stood up for so many artists as well as yourself and you shouted out about why yeah. people could not get heard on the radio. You know, I've always been a little bit of an outlaw and a bit of a rebel. And I will always be a bit of a rebel. And I'll always, I'm also very passionate about any form of injustice or abuse of power. And that that doesn't just, you know, ring true for what I say about the music industry. I also, you know, fought for years for animal rights. And so it's in me anyway. It's part of who I am. It's in my spirit. And, you know, having had experiences of being part of a major label, huge corporation, major label artist, and the ease at which somebody in an office who's a radio plugger, you know, called up the stations and immediately things were just like, yes, of course, it's going to go on the A-list, you know, it's Sony. And then the other side of that that I experienced, which was independent artists, grassroots, building it up, which I've been doing now for 10, 15 years. And the difficulties experienced within that side of, you know, the business that, that it really it's not necessarily about the quality of music. It's not necessarily at the end of the day about your song. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of stuff that goes on that I have insight to. And I just found it to be unacceptable in the end. Plus, the other thing is, is that I was eight months pregnant and probably really moody. So um, I wasn't in the best frame of mind. But no, I really, I had, I was so fed up of being, you know, like a radio plugger will cost you, £2,000 a month, right, to run a campaign, let's just say, a decent one. So everything was getting fed to me saying, oh, it's definitely, no, they're going to playlist it, they're going to playlist it. And at that time, it still had a lot of power. It doesn't so much now, but it did then. 
it could literally make or break you. And it was like everything was gone in. Everybody was gone in for it. It's going to happen. And then it didn't. And it was just like this moment of absolute frustration of all these little things along the way that I had experienced where I just felt, you know, there is like this kind of sort of slight corruption. And I just sort of exploded, I guess. And it's, you know, the thing is, I guess there is that famous saying like, oh, you have enemies. Oh, good. Well, it means you stood up for something in your life. Yeah, I'm not going to, I've never been the person that doesn't speak out. I will, I do have quite a, uh, I do have a loud voice for a little person. Sometimes I, I say how I feel. <laughs> but, the, you know, the thing is, is that a lot of people came out of the woodwork, particularly artists, even regional radio DJs said, we don't like, you know, because you're talking about centralised playlists where you take the the creative control out of the DJ's hands. And so what do people, why do people want to be a radio DJ in the first place? To play music that they love and you take all of that away from them and you just say, here, here's your menu, play it. You know, so even the radio DJs came out and said, oh, you know, it's a total farce and this and that. So I just happened to be the first person to shout it out pretty loudly. And it's still relevant today. Yeah. It's the it's the, the thing is is that I gave up on the traditional model of promotion. I kind of thought, oh, I'll give it another little go, you know. But I firmly arrived at a point where I think this is just this just is futile. So that's why I'm, you know, in the metaverse, looking at how to monetize NFTs, thinking, wow, there's so much more you can do economically speaking. In this world, compared to the the old model, and the investment is a lot less. You know, the way that technology has sort of reshaped the music industry is fascinating because, yes, it still holds a lot of power, but there are really now very, very firm ways of being able to make. Because at the end of the day, everybody has to make money, especially if you're an independent artist and you're running a business. You have to make money and you want to make as much money as possible. Let's face it, right? as well as be in creative control and, and do what you love. But there are definitely better ways out there now to monetize your music, um, you know, that I'm now about to fully explore. <laughs>
Though blindness is confusing It shows that you're not here Now I feel I'm growing older And the songs that I have sung Echo in the distance Like the sound of a windmill going round The castle spoken about yet really is your music because you've got this fantastic new single silence where did that come from Mm. the song itself so i spent four or five years living in the middle east i i left the uk i don't know when it was 2010 I, i moved to la i lived there for a long time and then i moved to the middle east and i got so heavily entrenched in dog rescue and I saw, and cat rescue, to be fair, because there's just this huge problem with so many stray dogs. And like I said, I, I am like the rebel with a cause. I see this like great travesty, like nobody cares. There's no there's no system to stop them breeding. They're just everywhere in their droves, millions of them, and they're dying. And then they shoot them and then they poison them. And it's awful. So I got so angry about it. And I built a shelter 400 dogs, 200 cats in, you know, 45 degrees in awful conditions and zero animal rights and so many things. These frustrations were just, you know, and every day somebody comes along and hands you another set of eight puppies. 
<laughs> that are going to become eight dogs that are going to have another 800 puppies. I don't know. I I just got so caught up in all of this and, and I, I overstayed much longer than I had originally intended. And I spent years and years and years in this hamster wheel of animal rescue that was really, really rewarding in some respects because I sent hundreds and hundreds of dogs and cats to new homes in all parts of the world and you get to follow their stories and it's great for the soul because you think totally changed their life you know and even though they can't speak and they're not people they're unconditionally grateful for the rest of their life i have i had five i have four all rescued from the streets all would have been dead by now so that song caused a lot of different upsets that not the song that journey created a lot of emotional ups and downs for me and silence talks about being in the desert and talks about some of the things that I the some of the struggles through that whole uh situation and it's ultimately about coming out of that place and you know the light at the end of the tunnel because I did I did go through some pretty dark times through that whole experience and then eventually I left in December 2021 after the, the vast majority of COVID and and that was that I, it's kind of like that was it I left it all I didn't leave it behind but I had to leave because it was just gonna take over my whole life when I parked my career you know for it here beneath the desert sky my heart's been rolled like a die In this lonely place where nothing grows Never
I think that song really comes from that time in my life. And then when I came to make the song, I just thought, you know, I've been through this journey, as you may well know, of making blues records and going to Nashville and doing all sorts of different stuff. And I thought, I think I just need to go home in the sense, musically, where did I come from in the beginning? And that was this girl that just layered up voices and had nothing but percussion and not that many instruments, you know? I always loved using my voice to create this ambiance or this feeling. So that's what we did. We just went and we just, basically, it's mostly all voices except for a drone. That's pretty much it. (laughs) And that's what I went back to. And sometimes things just really work out with songs. Sometimes you just get some little bit of magic that you didn't expect. And we actually recorded it in this room, literally just in this room in my house in Cardiff. Uh, this, you know, 20 different voices and, and a drone. So it's really cool. I'm really, I'm, I love the song. I'm really proud of it as a piece of work. I think it's very different and unique. It's a really, to me, an uplifting song. It's really rich. Like you described all the different voices on it. It is heavily layered, but it's such a rich and sumptuous song. Mm. But at the end of it, you feel uplifted because it, it's, mm. it's a song filled with hope, isn't it? Totally, yeah. Totally. And I think that it's, it's sort of just begun its journey and I'm sure many more people will discover it. But I think it's well-timed as well that, you know, although it was about my own personal journey, I think that the world needs hope just now.
souvenirs for home that I hope to send Carried around for months just to dump them in the end Well, all is done in darkness Well, all is still in day But living men are buried in the day taken from your forthcoming EP, Warpaint. Yeah. When can we expect that to drop? So, the next important dates to, to the add to the calendar is um, I'm doing my first NFT drop actually the 1st of February, the alternate version of Silence will drop in the metaverse as an NFT and then March 1st we're dropping the next song which is called Revolution Anthem Brackets, Festival of the Oppressed, which was something that Lenin said then actually was rewritten by Jermaine Greer. Uh, that's dropping on March 1st as an NFT first. And then on the 8th of March, when one week later, it'll be made available worldwide on all the different, you know, mainstream media platforms. So that's the next track that's coming up. Um, I would say Warpaint will probably come together maybe by the autumn, but I'm going to be dropping the tracks one by one over the course of the year. So the next one that will follow from that is the title track, Warpaint, which is all very much also about the things that I had to come up against uh, in the Middle East when I was sort of fighting for these animals and, you know, this sort of black lines under the face, you know, like, (laughs) so, yeah, I think probably by the autumn it'll, it'll have come together. But the next song is, I think, I'm sort of calling it like punk rocker's older, wiser cousin. It's it's going to cause some controversy. I really can't wait. I wish you every success with the new release, and I can't wait for more. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was lovely to talk to you. Well, it seems like only yesterday that I was just a girl Wondering through life without a care in this whole world I'd climb upon the roof Everybody was asleep In the stillness of the night I could hear my own heartbeat I remember when the days seemed like they never ever end 
Sometimes I feel like this 